August 2004. American college student David Snedden, 24, vanishes while hiking in Western China. 16 years on, theories about David's disappearance range from a tragic accident to a North Korean abduction. What happened to David Snedden in Tiger Leaping Gorge? Primary sources for this episode include helpfinddavid.com, Outside Magazine, The Independent, Amnesty International, and the BBC. Ni hao, listeners. That is hi in Mandarin, um, because today's episode takes us to China. I should insert Trump, how he says China at that point. Um, China. So welcome back to episode 37 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or been murdered abroad. I'm feeling a bit peppier today um, to last episode. I feel like last episode, I've let myself down on it. I sounded really flat um, and that made me a bit sad. So I won't record in future when I do that, but you guys seem to like it. The Mary Celeste one, so that's good. Um, I hope you're all doing well. Friday night in lockdown here. Me, the rain outside, a glass of wine after this. I won't have it before because I'll start slurring my words to you guys. Um, but I'm kind of going to get into this episode pretty quickly because there's a lot to it. And I didn't think there was as much to this case as there actually is. This is a Patreon request for my good friend, Cara, who is, um, she recorded a couple of episodes for me in Spanish language. Once this pandemic's kind of over, I'll be in a better financial spot um, to pay her to do more for the Spanish language ones. She's such an interesting, diverse human being. Um, she's so talented. She's a photographer. If you are in Brisbane and need a photographer, um, look up Firemark Photo Media. She, we support each other um, in our endeavours. And Cara has lived all over the world. So I really thought when she became a patron and I said, where do you want your episode to take place? I really thought she would say one of the places she had lived in. I thought she would say Chile, where she's from. I thought she would say Sweden, where she grew up. I thought she would say Japan, where she lived as a adult. And then I thought she'd say Australia because that's where she lives now. But no, she did not. Um, she said two options actually, thankfully, because the first one I could not find anything. Um, so I won't tell you what that is just in case one day I ever do find it. So her second option was Mongolia. <laughs> that was her first option. I just said it. Anyway, her first option was Mongolia and I couldn't find one. So sorry. Um, and I'll just tell you so that I don't like tempt fate and have someone be murdered in Mongolia in the next week. So her second option was China, um, which I immediately, the minute that she said that, I was like, yep, I know the one I'm going to do. I've heard it on a couple of podcasts years ago. I He stuck in my mind um, because I don't know many other missing travellers in China, but um, I'm doing the story of David Snedden, who went missing in 2004. He's an American who went missing in China, if that's what, still where he is, Um who can say I started out thinking one thing for many years with this and through research I really swung the other way and 
I won't get into that until the end. Um, but I really surprised myself by how much my opinion changed on what happened to him. And I want to say that that is because of a piece by Outside Magazine. Now, this piece is called Did North Korea Kidnap an American Hiker? And it was by Chris Vogel in 2014. Outside Magazine was the um, online magazine that I relied on heavily that did an amazing long-form article for the kidnapped, um, the murdered backpackers in Morocco, Marin and Louisa. Um, So when I found one about David Snedden, I was so thrilled because I knew it would be top-notch journalism and I was not let down. It was a huge article. It filled in every gap I had from the shitty kind of coverage of this um, from everyone else. It is a super clickbaity case, which really sucks. If you type in David Snedden into Google, you get the fact that it is a fact that he was kidnapped by North Korea um, from China while he was hiking. And that is not a fact. Um, They just use that to rope you in. That is one of the many theories. There is a lot on the side of that theory, which I'll get into later. Um, However, I do want to advise that it wasn't until years after David disappeared that the North Korea theory was floated. And while there is an incredible amount of evidence to support the fact that that could have been what happened to David and that he is still alive living in the shithole that is North Korea, um, I'm going to keep kind of my options open talking about the case um, until we get into theories at least. But I will say before I get into this that everything that has been done, every lead that was tracked down on the ground in this case um, was done purely by David's family, in particular his brothers um, and his father, Roy. Um, They did the work the police should have done in China. When I get into how police work in China, you'll realise that it's not a country you want something bad to happen in if you're travelling there. Um, And honestly, it's just another example week after week of incredible families doing everything they can to look for their sons, their daughters, their brothers, their sisters. Um, David's father and his brothers even put together a 73-page report that you can get online um, on David's disappearance. It has literally every single thing about David's life, the lead up to him going to China, why he was in China, every day by day um, just to put to the State Department in the US so they would do something. Sadly, in this instance, the US and China, um, both of them have pretty much failed David. And so, it is up to his loved ones to get answers. And yeah, so um, I'm going to get into the episode now and um, buckle yourselves in. David Lewis Snedden was born on May 3rd, 1980. So if David was alive today, he would have just celebrated his 40th birthday. He was born into a very devoted family that was incredibly devoted to the um, Church of the Latter-day Saints, which is the Mormon church. He was the youngest son of Roy and Kathleen Snedden, and Roy comes into play a lot in this case. As many Mormons in the USA do, um, the Snedden family resided in the state of Utah in the city of Logan. 
And also, as with many religious families, um, David was one of 11 children, if you can believe it. Now, he was very studious. He was very enthusiastic about learning. And honestly, looking at his photos, he just looks like a really good guy. Um, He's just got one of those open faces that you could just tell he was a lovely guy. And um, I bet he was a great listener. I kind of get that from his photos. David's super impressive. He speaks, and I'm going to say that in present tense or past tense sometimes in this. Um, He speaks fluent Mandarin, which is a huge feat as I was recently making some little posts, um, travel facts and things that I put on the Instagram for the podcast. And I looked up what's the hardest language to learn and um, far and away, the most difficult language in the world to learn is Mandarin. So he was um, into Mandarin and also he he spoke Korean, um, according to a lot of sources, which I actually think is right because later on he went to live in Korea for a while. Now, according to Outside Online, that David wasn't really as intellectual um, and academically minded naturally as his um, 10 siblings, um, but he made up for it in enthusiasm enthusiasm and I guess likability as well. He loved being outdoors and traveling. Quote, David was an experienced hiker and an Eagle Scout who spent his childhood backpacking in Wyoming's Wind River Range, unquote. Roy and Kathleen were very dedicated to all their children um, and you can tell they've got a close bond with all of them, which is amazing. I don't know, if I had 11 children, I'd probably forget a couple of them existed. They, obviously being raised Mormon, um, they conveyed their devout, religious views to their children who went on to be religious as well. As part of the Mormon religion, I'm not going to get into that, but um, they do do generally overseas missions um, in developing countries um, and doing good for overseas communities. They also do that within the US. Um, But all of their kids went and did overseas missions. And David had completed his in South Korea in the capital of Seoul. I believe he was teaching English. Now, the year before he vanished in China, David had completed his third year at the famous university, it's a Mormon university really, Brigham Young, um, and he was studying Asian studies and planning to go on to study law. Um, In Australia, that's kind of just, you go straight from high school into a law degree, but I think you have to do an undergrad over there um, before you go on to do like your post-grad law. But anyway, um, So in the Northern Hemisphere summer of 2004, his plan was to travel to Beijing, China, um, to study Mandarin some more and study it obviously on the ground. You get way more fluent in it quicker. Um, There's nothing like learning a language on the go when you're in a place. He planned to go there with his classmate, George, um, and they were going to rent an apartment in the Chinese capital together. At the tail end of his couple of months in China, he planned to hike um, in Western China in a really magnificent area that I'll get into in a little bit. Now, the day before David left for China, um, according to Outside Online, he talked with his mum, Kathleen, really late into the night, which is a memory that will stay with her forever. 
Quote, the following morning, she was so busy helping him finish packing that his departure seems like a blur. She knows she waved goodbye as she stood on the front porch watching David pull out of the driveway, but she can't remember giving him a hug or saying, I love you. Quote, I just have to trust that I did. Unquote. So by the start of the US summer break, um, I, I believe they probably got there in July 2004. David and George were settle, settling into life in Beijing, the capital of China. They were studying Mandarin um, in university classes and obviously just getting accustomed with this new city, which is a major jump from Utah. Uh, David kept in regular contact with his parents. He was incredibly close to them. They emailed several times a week and he obviously kept them up to date with stories from his new short-term home in China. His Mandarin classes ended in early August and David's plan from then was to head to Western China. George was going off to do um, traveling in a separate part. David wanted to travel in this area, um, Lijiang um, and Tiger Leaping Gorge in particular. So he was going to head there for I believe the trip was just over two weeks, the hiking trip. Um, he was going to hike until the 26th of August. After that, he was going to fly down pretty much immediately on the 26th to South Korea, to the capital of Seoul, where he used to live when he was doing his missionary work. His brother, Michael, was living in Seoul um, and he worked there. So he was going down to visit his brother, Michael. On August 11th, 2004, David emailed his parents, quote, I'm in Lijiang now in Western Yunnan province. I will take a bus to hike Tiger Leaping Gorge in about half an hour. I'm having a great time here, but nonetheless, I'm excited to come home, unquote. So a week went by and David did not email. They had no, um, they had no, sorry, my cat, here we go. I say my cat bombs every episode. She's just sleeping. She just comes out and she just stands next to me and starts sneezing. <laughs> so David did an email a week later um, and they put that down, his parents, really to being in a remote area. Um, but then it became two weeks and they had not heard from him when their phone rang, they hoped it was David, but instead it was his brother Michael in Seoul. He rang with the worst news a parent could possibly hear, that David had never arrived in Seoul to visit him um, and nobody knew where he was. So I'm going to get into a little bit about China now. Um, not a huge amount. China is a huge country, one of the biggest in the world. Um, I can't go into every area. Every area is totally distinct and diverse and unique. But I'll kind of give you a very brief overview of a few facts about China as a whole. So its initial, its official name is the People's Republic of China. Now, as I get older, my kind of theory is that the longer and more people pleasing um, the name of a country, the more human rights violations um, are going on behind the curtain. So China um, is the most populous country in the world. It has 1.4 billion people living in its 9.6 million square kilometer span. It is the third largest country by size in the world. It has 22 provinces, five regions and four municipalities plus 
in to a lesser degree, it has Hong Kong and Macau, which I talked about pretty extensively about Hong Kong um, and how it broke away from China on the Arnie Ashikian episode. If you go back and listen to that, it's still one of the most popular episodes I've done because it's so weird. China is governed by the Chinese Communist Party <clears throat> and the president is Xi Jinping, which I guess he's been on the news more than he liked to, especially in 2020, considering they unleashed a virus um, on the world and then lied about it and now it's single-handedly like affecting people's day-to-day lives all over the world. But the capital of China is Beijing um, and I'm coming down pretty hard on China with everything, but in my um, my belief is that the Beijing Olympics were the worst of all time. Um, I know people like gasp when I say that, they can't believe it. Um, the It really gave you an insight into the pollution um, and the environmental violations that are going on in China on top of the human rights violations. The official language um, in China is Mandarin. In history, China was one of the world's first civilizations dating back to apparently the 21st century BC. It is really fascinating. Um, It's got a really kind of tragic, disjointed, weird history. And I'm really not going to be getting into that because that would be like one of those... um, who's the guy that does the history podcasts and he only does them once every like couple of years because they take him such a long time to put together. Now, China has unsurprisingly one of the fastest growing economies in the world. Everything is manufactured um, in China these days and imported and exported out of China. In 2017, they had a GDP of $12 trillion, which is crazy. Eventually, China will be the world superpower, and that's kind of scary because their army has 2.3 million troops. China has widespread human rights abuses. Um, These include suppression of um, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, religious freedom, um, ethnic freedom. there, everyone knows about how much their news um, and their, even their internet access is censored, um, how much they are surveilled, um, and they really don't let people step a foot out of line. I really like looking at Amnesty International annual reports for different countries when I'm putting these together. And the Chinese one um, for 2019 did not surprise me at all. So I'm going to read you a couple of bits that I thought were very telling of what's going on there. Quote, the human rights situation continued to be marked by a systematic crackdown on dissent. The justice system remained plagued by unfair trials and torture and other ill treatment in detention. China still classified information on its extensive use of the death penalty as a state secret. LGBTI people face widespread discrimination and stigma in society. Due to inadequate medical services, they took serious risks by seeking unregulated and improper gender-affirming treatments. LGBTI people who faced abuses in the form of conversion therapy. The government continued to intimidate, harass and prosecute human rights defenders and independent NGOs, including raids on their homes and offices. Human rights defenders' family members were subjected to police surveillance, harassment, detention and restrictions on their freedom of movement. Beijing continued to tighten its grip on Christians and Muslims as China pushed ahead with the sinicization of religion. 
The government strengthened strengthened its restrictions to the rights of freedom of oppression, sorry, freedom of expression, association, and peaceful assembly. The authorities rigorously censored all media, from print media to online games. With the assistance of private technology and internet companies, officials mastered the use of facial recognition, real name registration systems, and big data to keep people under indiscriminate mass surveillance and control. In July, a draft regulation on China's social credit system proposed punishing citizens citizens for disseminating information that violates social morality or causes adverse social impacts. So if all of that um, doesn't scare you, if you think that you're oppressed in your country um, and you're kind of writing on Facebook about it, they don't have Facebook in China and in many parts of the world. Every step you take is censored. Um, human beings are nothing but a cog in a massive machine. And I know I sound really harsh on it. Um, I have really strong opinions, obviously, as a journalism graduate um, and someone who kind of dips my toe into it with this on um, suppression of the media, um, censorship of the media, the news that people are allowed to receive. Um, it sickens me. Unfortunately, North Korea also plays a part in David Snedden's case. And as much as people just wouldn't think that China was on the same level in terms of human rights violations as North Korea, um, <laughs> they're both as bad as each other. I'll be serious. Um, except China, you can go there, you can visit. But as a tourist, you're not seeing what's going on. Um, and I think people that I've known who have gone there for short periods of time to work, I think they're nuts. Um yeah, I just, yeah, I just can't. But essentially, um, when the Chinese government has been questioned about their human rights violations, their belief is really that um, a person's kind of status in society indicates whether they have any human rights. So that's good. I also just want to say a couple of weeks ago in the news here in Australia, we have a lot of Chinese um Chinese immigrants living here. Um, and honestly, we have a fuckload of racists in Australia. I'm getting fucking sick of it. Um, and I'm sick of, especially I reckon the over 50 crowd are like when they die off, I've always said, um, I think people will be more understanding because <laughs> I don't know any young people that have that level of racism and hatred for people. Um, but there was a girl in the news, a couple of weeks ago, um, she lives in Melbourne, my city. She's been here. She's on a student visa, I think, which a lot of them are. I went to uni with a lot of Chinese students. Shout out to Ling Ling that Brittany and I knew. Um, and she basically goes, she's, she's amazing. She, she speaks out against the Chinese communist party, um, as she should be. Um, communism is not the way to go, um, nor is socialism. Um, and that's the way we're going right now in Australia, it seems. And if you don't like it the way it is now, this is just a taste of how people have lived under communism in other countries for decades. But she writes stuff about the Chinese Communist Party. She calls them out and stuff on her social media. So she recorded a couple of weeks ago and it made the news. The police in China are actually FaceTiming her to warn her about what she's doing. They're actually contacting her when she's not even in their country. Like, the balls of these people to think that they run the fucking world. It's like Kim Jong-un thinks he runs the world. These people are so similar. Um, and she actually, like, 
played the recording and they were essentially threatening her, threatening her family, um, saying that when she gets back to China to come to the police station, um, I hope that we give her fucking asylum or something because she'll disappear the minute that she gets back to China. Um, and that's just what popped into my head when I was reading all of this stuff. Having said all that, (laughs) China, according to their statistics, it's a really safe country to visit as a tourist. Um, Now, as I said in Ani Ashikian's episode, Hong Kong is the safest city in the world and it's kind of like an independent nation of China um, and crime in that area is basically unheard of. But Hong Kong does not have the human rights violations um, on its record or the kind of... (laughs) Like it was, it was a British settlement before. Um, you don't, well, I guess there are the protests and things going on at the moment, but it's not a place you associate with hardcore communism um, and censorship of the media. And I've read a lot of media from Hong Kong, especially the South China Morning Post, um, and I find them really good. But they say that crime is basically unheard of and that, China is one of the safest countries in the world. Now, it is hard to know. Like I talked about in the Tiffan Veron episode in Japan, um, just like the Japanese police, the Chinese rarely investigate things or even open cases because the Chinese police salaries are determinant. They're dependent on the number of solved cases. So, What the fuck incentive is there to open a case that you're pretty sure you're not going to solve if it means that your salary will be lowered? Um, It's just insane that people can, like, not question this stuff more, especially when they're going there for tourism. And China, believe it or not, is the most visited country in Asia by international tourists. Now, I found this article by the BBC. I typed in China human rights violations um, and I found this really good article by the BBC and it essentially quotes a couple of experts um, across the world um, in different universities because they're responding to China's director of public order, which is terrifying, Li Jingsheng. His quote was, it is one of the safest cities and countries in the world. So Dr. Zhu Jianhua, um, a crime expert at the University of Macau, said that those figures were only in relation to gun crime, which China barely has. Um, so Dr. Zhu said, quote, in terms of gun crime, China could be one of the lowest because the government has very tight restrictions, but that doesn't mean other crimes are low, unquote. So they're essentially just using the stats for gun crime to say that that's the rest of crime, but their gun restrictions are like Australia's, like you don't know anyone who has a gun. So um, now it also quotes this guy called Borge Bakken. He studies crime in China at Australian National University, which is ANU, Australia's best university actually, Um, and his whole thing is crime in China. His quote, and he doesn't mince words, quote, there are, there are lies, damned lies and Chinese crime statistics. It is sheer propaganda and the falsification of data goes from each police station to the top level, unquote. But if you don't think that they lie about that, think about what's been going on in the news at the moment. 
look at the fact that they admitted that they did not report the um, fact that COVID had been, um, well, initially they said a wet market, which is pretty much impossible, according to scientists. They then said that it was a lab where it got leaked. They lied, they lied, they lied, they lied again. Um, And then they lied and didn't report it to the World Health Organization for months. Um, And that's where we are today. So if you don't have money in your pocket that you should have in your pocket, um, this, what I'm saying right now, really ties in um, to your life at the moment. Now, I know I've been really hard on China overall. I'm just really fucking sick of reading about them lying, about what they do to their people. Um, they've got 1.4 billion people um, and many of them are just living in abject poverty, in shitty conditions, fearful of the government. It is not a way to live your life. Um, and I will never speak well of a country that denies people their basic human rights and censors freedom of the press, freedom of expression. Um, but I will wrap up by saying that... Um, we had some really awesome, funny Chinese students at my university. Um, I went to university with a ton. I think it's over 50% internationals and most of them are from China. Um, and I love Chinese food. So, yeah. Let's say China. 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 You go over to China, 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 you take China, 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 I love them, China, 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 I have to have my China, 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 because China, 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 now, China, China, you know, China, I know China very well. 17 million views on a three-minute compilation of Donald Trump saying the word China in numerous interviews. That's that's the world right now. So let's just talk for one minute or two minutes about the area of China um, that David was trekking in. So Outside online, I wanted to kind of explain it, but they open up their beautiful article that I'm using throughout this um, to describe this area. And I couldn't describe it better um, because the guy who wrote it, um, Vogel, something Vogel, I said it at the start, he has actually been there. So you can't get better than that. So I'm going to quote that to explain this area. Quote, in the northern reaches of China's Yunnan province, just before the rolling hills and deep river-carved ravines of the Yangui Plateau give way to cascading sheets of limestone and spectacular cast, two mountains, jade dragon and harbour snow, jut three and a half vertical miles into the sky. Separated only by the Yinsha River, a 100-foot-wide whitewater tributary of the Yangtze, These Scarborough peaks form one of the world's deepest river canyons, Tiger Leaping Gorge. Etched into the steep terrain above the wild rapids, the 16-mile high trail climbs more than 3,700 feet through the canyon's thick mountain brush and sheer cliffs. The trail, which usually takes two days to complete, is considered a must for trekkers searching for remote panoramic vistas in China, with Tibet looming to the west and Myanmar, Laos and Vietnam to the south. 
The route is littered with commercial guest houses where tens of thousands of tourists, almost exclusively from China or South Korea, can buy a hot meal and sleep in a real bed, unquote. That's real writing. <laughs> um, I love that article. I love this publication so much. I'm going to contact them to see if I can write for them. Um, that's how much I've grown to love it. So the way that it is laid out and kind of described, not really the landscape, but the way that you can stop off at all these guest houses on the route kind of reminds me of the episode we did on Marin and Louise in Morocco and their trek um, up through the Atlas Mountains where they have little towns, not really towns so much, but yeah, towns where you can stop off on this incredible hike um, and stay in a guest house and go to a restaurant and things like that. Um, it is incredible. I suggest pausing now or just listening and going to your browser and typing in Tiger Lipping Gorge. Um, it's it's breathtaking. Um, it's amazing. I would love to go there. Um, I don't think I can now that I've said everything that I've said. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to know if any of you have gone to this part um, of China. Yeah. So really when I was talking earlier about China and their crime statistics, those big murders um, and any kind of murders, they say it's one in a hundred thousand, which um, is a crazy low statistic for a country with that many people. But the way their people are controlled, I don't know, I wouldn't put it past them um, to kind of not have levels of crime, but I think it would be in the cities. Now, up this way, um, crime is virtually non-existent. You're not going to have random people stopping to mug you on the trail or hiding in the trees, things like that. People are trekking through this area non-stop um, year round. Um, as I said, tens of thousands of tourists do this hike. It's kind of like an inner China escape for Chinese people like to go and do the hike um, or South Koreans who head over and the Trail like takes a couple of days to do, um, depending on how fast you're going, obviously. Um, but I definitely suggest looking it up because it's it's incredible. So now we're going to get into the search for David Snedden. Once David was reported missing in the region, um, he was obviously reported missing to the US um, embassy in China um, and in the United States as well, um, which kind of kind of pass it on to the relevant police where he was last known to be. The local police in the Yunnan province did a very cursory search for David, if you can even call it that, um, and the US Embassy did even less. They simply echoed whatever China's findings were. What the Chinese police did do is that they rang hospitals and jails and mental institutions, seeing if David was in any of them, um, and that's what they claim to have done. They did find that his passport had not been used um, and his bank account had not been touched in the time that he was on the trail. Very quickly, the Chinese police presumed that David had fallen in the Yinsha River, which runs along the trail of Tiger Leaping Gorge, um, and he had died. This is despite the fact that the trail is very well marked. Um, it's not a kind of death road in Bolivia kind of situation, and it's a well-worn trail where that's very unlikely to happen um, in wet weather. A few tourists have died in the last couple of decades um, from landslides and things like that. Um, but 
in every single case where that happened, the body was recovered um, either in the river or at the base of the gorge. Um, So keep that in mind. Now, the police did not attempt to show anyone on the trail uh, David's photo, um, any guides that had been going up and down the trail who may have crossed paths with him. What happened was David's father and his two brothers. So Roy is his father and his brothers are Michael and James. Michael's the one that lived in Seoul and David was meant to visit him. He came up from South Korea um, and they headed to Yunnan province almost immediately. He did not arrive August 26 to see Michael. Um, and on September 13, they were standing essentially at the start of the trailhead, um, Roy, Michael and James. Bear in mind, Roy, like with Carlos Valpeos, like with so many parents of people I've covered, um, it they're on the ground doing this work in areas they've never been to before. Um, and Roy is, he was not young because I believe he is, I think he's about 80 now. I think he was older when David was born. Um, so he was in his sixties. Um, so he had his sons, Michael and James with him. They hired a hiking guide and a translator. They were pretty on the ball. Um, and they hit the trail. September 13, they were not even on the trail. They were kind of in the city at the start of the trailhead, the town there. Um, And this is a quote from outside online. Quote, right away, they saw missing persons posters with David's photo. They also saw police officers wandering aimlessly with bloodhounds, ostensibly searching for David, despite a month passing since his disappearance. It was ridiculous, said Michael, who decided the effort was all for show. We just laughed and said thanks, unquote. So initially, they really thought that they were going to find David somewhere along the way or that there had been some mistake and he was travelling somewhere else and just hadn't been in touch. But I think probably in their heart of hearts, they knew he was reliable and he would have been. But they were really kind of taken by the beauty of this area. And I think it was Michael said that they kind of felt bad because the first day or so they were kind of enjoying themselves um, because they're people of faith. And I think that their faith, is something that people who don't have it, like myself, they kind of, they're, ba- they're better able to withstand these kinds of things. Um, and I think that's played into their hand and stopped them from falling apart um, the last, you know, 16 years since David disappeared. Um, and I think that their sense of community and family has really kind of held them together as well. Now, within two hours on the trail, they encountered a guide going the other way. His name is He Shang Shu Chang. Um, now, he told them on August 11th, a month before, that he had encountered David on the trail. Um, the minute that they showed them a photo of David, he said, yep, that's him. He said what he was wearing. Um, David had been wearing a blue t-shirt and grey shorts with a fanny pack, or in Australia, we call it a bum bag, tied to his waist. Um, and a floppy brimmed rain hat. And there are a few photos uh, which you can actually see of David during his travels as well that I will put on the Instagram. So this guy, um, he, Shu Chang, he had been hiking with two um, 
people who had come over from Hong Kong to hike the trail um, and he was taking them on it. And David had kind of come up upon them and asked really politely in Mandarin if he could join them. And this guy was so blown away that David spoke fluent Mandarin that he said, sure. And they were really, really kind of taken with him. They hiked with him pretty much that whole day. They reached um, this place called Tina's Guest House, which is at the other end of the gorge. Um, and that night they all stayed at the guest house. So this guy is a pretty good um, witness that it was in fact David. And it also confirms that David made it to the other end of the gorge um, away from the river. <laughs> so the next morning, um, according to the guide, David had left the guest house and continued hiking the route um, of the trail Um and they hadn't seen him again. Now, Roy and his sons obviously immediately headed to this town um, for Tina's guest house. It's just a little kind of um, makeshift place along the way um, with a few guest houses and restaurants and things. And they didn't get there till the following afternoon after they ran into the guide who had seen David a month before. According to a Outside online, quote, Chinese law requires hotels and guest houses to keep a written log of foreign visitors complete with names and passport numbers. When Dave, when Michael asked to see the log, the man at the check-in desk told him that every month for the past year was available, but August had been confiscated by the police. That was the case at every log, at every lodge they visited along the trail. It was highly suspicious, says Michael, and it certainly felt like a cover-up, unquote. So despite saying that Dave, um, David had fallen in the river and things like that, the police have gone ahead along the trail and taken out the logbook pretty much to, the way I've been looking at it is to make it look like David was never in that area um, at all. And it kind of all comes together the more you read about this case. Um, if you remove every logbook for every hotel, you remove any evidence that he was ever there. And what's What's the benefit of that? We'll see. So once you're at Tina's guest house, the road then splits in two and you can take either direction. One route essentially loops all the way back to the trailhead where you begin um, the trail and it takes you to back to Lijiang. This is if he wished a bit shorter on time, um, he would have done that in order to get back. But the other one heads to a city called Shangri-La. Now, it's a city that named renamed itself in 2001 for tourism reasons. Obviously, the term Shangri-La refers to like heaven and, you know, something divine, things like that. Um, so they just renamed their city, which is amazing. Um, so I looked up this city and I thought it would be quite small, like a few thousand people. It's 130,000 people. So... When they saw the sign, which way to go, Roy and his two sons decided to go towards Shangri-La. They thought that that was kind of calling them and that was their hunch. Now, they were going off David's final email that they had he had sent to Roy where he had said he was excited to be, quote, really, really close to Tibet and the road to Shangri-La would have been there, if you get what I mean. So they finally reached Shangri-La and the men spent two full days crossing the city, going into bars, going into restaurants, guest houses, showing David's picture, asking people if they had seen him. We're talking about a big city. It's actually really beautiful. It's like a hidden gem, they call it, um, in the Yunnan province. 
Now, the next morning, the son, one of the sons, James, he was went into a place called Yak Bar. It is a Korean restaurant, a really little kind of rustic one in the main area of the city. Um, it's about 100 metres from the police station and a huge jail that they have there. Keep that in mind. So James went in there because he thought that David would have been drawn to a Korean place because he'd lived in Korea um, and might have gone there. And he was right. So they met one of the owners. She's a young woman named Zhang Fen, And she spoke pretty good English as well. When they showed her a picture of David, her eyes lit up um, and she remembered him. She described his clothing. She said that he spoke Mandarin and Korean. She said that he had come to Shangri-La um, at the end of, you know, the trail after he'd left the other guide and the two Hong Kong clients. He had reached Shangri-La. He'd gone into the restaurant three times over two days to eat. He'd eaten cheap meals. Um, he was obviously traveling on a budget. And she said that the last time she saw him was about midday on August 14th. Um, and he came in to say goodbye and thank you. He didn't say where he was going, but she assumed that he was leaving Shangri-La um, and heading back from where he had come. Now, this ties in with David's plans. He had to get to Seoul to visit um, Michael. Um, so he would have had to hike all the way back um, to Lijiang um, and then get on a bus to go you know, back to, I think, Beijing and then fly to Seoul. So he was he had a few days, but he was, you know, on a schedule. So in total, um, Roy, Michael and James found 12 people, both in the gorge and in the city of Shangri-La, who had seen David, looked at his picture and said, yes, that's him. So that indicates that David exited the gorge um, and he disappeared in the city of Shangri-La and that he did not fall into the river, that he did not double back or take the other road because he clearly took the road to Shangri-La. Roy said, quote, at this point, we were 100% certain that what the Chinese government told us was not true and that David did not fall into the gorge, unquote. So with all that information and obviously thinking that what the Chinese were saying was not true um, and that David had not fallen in the river that ran through the gorge and that something else was at play, the um, his father and his two brothers returned to Utah. Um, they set up a website, which is still up, which is Find David Snedden. Um, and they wrote the report that I told you about that they sent to the US State Department. It's a 74-page report that details David, what he was doing in China, their entire trip, all of their findings, essentially doing what the police should have been doing. They really thought that by doing all of this, um, the US government would help them. So it took ages. They finally got a response um, from a diplomat at the US embassy in Beijing. Now, he said that they had looked into the report, which I really doubt, um, and, quote, had not produced any tangible leads, unquote. Eight months later, the Chinese police were finally... Um, kind of peppered with stuff from the um, Snedens enough and kind of they did not stop, which I think is one of the most important things you can take away from what to do when you're looking for someone who's missing. The Chinese police 
launched a follow-up investigation um, and (laughs) it took eight months to interview the people who had seen David. So Roy, Michael and James had been the ones to track them down to put it in the report Um, and then the Chinese police are going to take that report and do the work that they should have done from the beginning. Weirdly, after the Chinese police said that they would interview the people who had claimed to see David and follow up all this, all 12 people who they mention in the report who they had tracked down who had seen David suddenly changed their stories. The trail guide who had spent two full days or a a whole day and a night with David, with the two Hong Kong tourists, um, said that he could not be certain that it was David, despite telling the um, Roy and David's brothers that he knew it was David. I mean, he'd spent all that time. He knew where he was studying, that he was from Utah, all of that. Um, How interesting. They apparently had gone to the Yak Bar in Shangri-La and that young woman, Zhang, um, one of the owners, had said that she wasn't sure anymore that the customer was David, even though she was so sure um, initially. And over and over and over, this happened again. Weird, huh? Um, Obviously, David's parents and his brothers and sisters were thinking that people were starting to be intimidated, which I think is (laughs) pretty obvious. Um, And in the end, the case was essentially closed by both the American um, the American authorities and the Chinese authorities. They said that the evidence was quote-unquote inconclusive um, and that pretty much despite everything and despite him leaving the gorge and last being seen in this big city and yada, 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 that David had actually died in the gorge. Um, now, I just want to bring you back to the fact that anyone who has died in the gorge or fallen into the river, their body has always been recovered. Um, But uh, you don't really need to hear that because everything else points to the fact that he exited um, the gorge and went on the trail, which led to this city, um, Shangri-La. And that's where he was last seen. And how many like true crime documentaries, things like that, have you watched where people suddenly aren't so sure when the cops get hold of them, where families have got all this information and then they're, you know, yes, I saw him, he was wearing this, he said this, he said he was a Mormon, blah, 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 blah. And then they turn around and they go, oh, I'm not so sure. Coincidentally, immediately after the police visit them, the police that belong to a you know, socialist government that is renowned for human rights violations. So, I am actually going to leave it here um, for part one. I wasn't going to do a part two, but I realised that we've got a lot more to get into and a lot more to cover in terms of theories um, and kind of wrap-ups and a little bit more about the investigation, people that come forward who may may or may not know things. So I will put that up tomorrow for you, Um, but enjoy this first part in the meantime. And I'll speak to you then.